Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Erin Pym, and what I like to do here on the pod is bring fun and sexy guests into the studio to talk about sex and sexuality. Today, we have, like, kind of, we have a really cool guest, and, like, it's kind of a topic-based episode, which is not something I do, like, super-duper often, so I'm really excited about that, and it is a juicy fucking topic, uh, especially right now. Um, I think it's super important to uh, have, like, a full episode dedicated to this so without further ado everybody please welcome rachel karens from abortion a podcast hey rachel Aaron, How's thank you so much <laughs> i'm really good how are you doing so good i love meeting a fellow podcaster like um that uh that just it does similar topics stuff and we mm-hmm. haven't connected and we got the chance to so i'm so excited to talk to you today Yes, me too. I love the people uh, also doing the podcasts where you're like well, far less likely to get the marketing dollars. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes. I've been bounced around from like, yeah, my podcasting network is so lovely. They like are trying to pitch me for stuff. They like will move platforms if they, you know, can't give me marketing stuff. They're really awesome. Yeah, That's amazing. Good them. for them. Yeah. Because and good for that's you. A thing. Yeah, good for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I have, hope you all uh, similarly have someone in your corner that uh, yes. helps you kind of curve and swerve around those uh, TOS. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. the, the force is strong out there. Yeah. yeah. Like how many times have you had like, you know, an Instagram account shut down or like yep. a post taken down that yep. was literally, in, you know, something so stupid? Yep. I know the purity culture it's like the water we swim in and you can't even tell but that's okay that's you know just like we'll keep fighting we will exactly exactly find the good fight Rachel (laughs) okay a borscht is so funny and I told my husband that I would begin with his this joke yes please I love it (laughs) he was like is it about Russian cooking There was there was a version of the trailer where I was like, not a soup, yeah. the reproductive event that happens in one in three people's lives. Like that. Oh my goodness. Um, but yes, I would love for you to. Um, I don't want to talk. I don't want to ask that question of like, how did you get started doing this? Oh. That's the one that I've just like want to try to avoid as much as possible. So maybe like, if you could talk about. Um, so it's specifically abortion in Canada, yes. which is really interesting. So maybe Thank let's you. start here because, um, I think as Canadians we often do this thing where we're looking at the madness that happens. Mm-hmm right below us in the states and we're like thank god mm-hmm. we live here right and we kind of just watch this car crash mm-hmm. and there there are many car crashes happening right now um mm-hmm. in the states as far as like human rights 
uh, violation stuff that's mm-hmm. happening. There's mm-hmm. panic. There's a lot of panic happening right now. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can start with like your choice to focus on abortion in Canada versus, I don't know, versus, I, uh, yeah, just more internationally, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great question. Yes. <laughs> well, I was just really, um, once I started geeking out about abortion and wanting to create a project about it, I just felt really strongly that it needed to be from the Canadian context. One, because, you know, I, I am Canadian. Mm-hmm. And two, because we get we have so much kind of cultural osmosis and infiltration from the states. And, you know, we have a really different uh, landscape and history when it comes specifically to abortion. But our reproductive lives and rights more broadly Mm. and to kind of conflate the two countries and their related but different issues ignores the nuances um, of the specific, you know, challenges and progress that we've made here in Canada. So I really wanted to just look at like, and we're also a fucking huge country, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> when you're talking about abortion in urban centers, that's a really different conversation than folks living up north or in more remote communities for what abortion is like for them. So even within our landscape, it's a very diverse conversation. Um, so I was kind of like, I just want to focus on that. Also, as somebody who was born in 1988, mm-hmm. um, the year that abortion was decriminalized in Canada, and like running in pretty progressive circles and having a feminist mom. Um, once I had an abortion, I was really surprised by how little I actually knew about particularly our history of like how, how where we find ourselves today, like what came before that to uh, set up the landscape that we're currently in. Um, and I, th- you know, I'm somebody it's like, you know, if you don't, know your history you're doomed to repeat it kind of thing yeah. uh so i wanted to focus on that element too you know like i i feel it's changed a lot more now because of row overturning last year but when i first started my geekdom on, on this really started uh, at the end of 2019 throughout 2020 and i as i said run in progressive circles in the arts community Lots of people my age and younger, unless they were like in gender studies, didn't know who Henry Morgenthaler was. And I find like I find that sad. I'm like, he should be on our money. <laughs> like, let's talk about so, it. Who let's yeah. talk about it. Tell. Educate. Educate the masses. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love talking about Henry Morgenthaler. Great, okay. Great. <laughs> so Henry Morgenthaler. Uh Polish born Holocaust survivor, immigrated to Canada in his early 20s, late teens, I can't exactly remember, but set up the first abortion clinic in Canada in 1969 in Montreal. And this was particularly uh, bold because at the time, Trudeau, Daddy Trudeau, uh, had just created a partial legalization of abortion, but it was really just kind of like legalization on paper. It was still very difficult for people to access it, particularly people who did not have privilege. Um, And the only place you could do abortions in 69, if you could get it approved, was in a hospital. So the fact that Morgenthaler was like, I'm just doing it in this standalone clinic that 
in and of itself was already illegal. And then he went from 1969 to 1988. It was just an endless string of legal legal battles in Quebec and in Ontario that got elevated up to the Supreme Court. And, you know, it just took a tremendous toll on his finances, on his personal life. Like, he was really um, a martyr for a cause. And it's like, this is one thing that I don't know enough about and don't understand. But when I look at the states, I just go like... I'm not a doctor, so it's not fair for me to say this, but I'm just like, what if you all did the abortions anyway? You're it's an incredibly litigious culture. But if you all did it, (laughs) if you all just gave the abortions to the people who needed them, surely that would create a groundswell where it's like they can't sue all of you. Right. Um, You know, so I think the rarity of finding a doctor who's willing to break the law clearly is very rare like no one in the states has shown up like that so the fact that he's kind of this part of our tapestry I think is really really significant the other thing I'll say though about Morgenthaler that's often overlooked when we're like talking about his heroism Mm -hmm. is the fact that you know he needed the women's liberation movement and the women's liberation movement needed him that the women's liberation movement was what when I talk to like activists from the 70s and 80s that's like the most frequent term I I hear them using so I just also want to say like not all women can get pregnant um, and not all pregnant people are women Mm -hmm. Uh, but because of you know the sexism of the 60s 70s and 80s in a lot of like university campuses and um, you know, how second wave feminism was operating, the women's liberation movement was super mobilized. And so, for example, the clinic that opened in Toronto uh, in like the early 80s, which instigated the uh, the ultimate Supreme Court case that decriminalized abortion, that was because a group of feminists, like a coalition of people who were working for a bunch of different political causes. They decided to like center abortion, reached out to Morgenthaler and were like, will you open a clinic here? And they had to convince him. He was like reluctant at first because he'd already been through a lot. Um, But ultimately he said yes. And, you know, his job was to push forward the legal fight and their job was to build like a grassroots movement. And so there was like tens of thousands of people who supported him and helped him. And we we don't remember or say their names um, when we're talking about this part of history. But, you know, it couldn't have been achieved without them. So I think that's another really kind of important piece of the puzzle. Wow. Thank you so much for that. There was a lot of that I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, right? I yes. know. Well, we're not taught it in school, right? Like, <laughs> Absolutely not. I went to a Catholic school, so doubly absolutely no. not. Yeah. Definitely not. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Man. Before, yeah. The Catholic schools in Ontario. It's a whole other world. Oh, God. The sex ed. The lack of sex ed, I should the say. The lack of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, something that um, 
I think you'll have a lot to say about that, that you kind of mentioned that was happening back then, um, that it was like, you know, partially legalized, but still um, very difficult to actually, you know, there was no access, right? So it's like, yeah, okay, maybe Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in Canada, you know, if we're kind of doing that thing again, where we're looking at the US, and we're like, oh, my God, thank God we're here. It's like, okay, well, you know, they're legalized here, but access is still an issue right mm-hmm. um, yeah are you able to talk about like what getting an abortion in Canada looks like like what that process how difficult that process is to actually getting it done yeah hmm. I'll like I'll just start with my story because I thought there were like this is what there were like a few listen I had a pretty good abortion mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like a, a no big deal abortion I'm glad yeah. but, but but there were parts about it that I was like huh that's interesting why is it like that that would be harder that's if somebody up. didn't have yes. you know this that would exactly. be yeah. exactly exactly Okay. Yeah. Great. Let's talk about it. Wonderful. So basically, like I, I got knocked up with an IUD. Oh, um, yeah. I, I know, right? Well, my, um, yeah, one of my uh, nephews, um, yeah, was a IUD pregnancy as well. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It can happen. Happens. Buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> those are your odds. Yeah. Um, so I had an IUD pregnancy and because of that, I, I kind of, even though my period was like 10 days late, I did, yeah, I didn't buy a pregnancy test until I was 10 days late because I just had so much faith in my supposedly 99.9% foolproof IUD that I was like, sure, I, yeah. I must, I must be stressed or I don't know. Yeah. Um, but no, was, was pregnant. Went to my doctor, uh, doctor in like downtown Toronto, mm-hmm. and this is like the opening conversation of the podcast. But basically, verbatim, I'm like, I'm worried I'm pregnant, and yeah. my, my doctor's a man, and he was like, worried, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what I said, uh, and then I was like, I took a a pregnancy test, but the control window didn't come up. And he's like, well, there's no false positives on pregnancy tests. And then I was like, well, I have an IUD. And he was like, that doesn't matter. It can still happen. (laughs) I was like, okay, how do I get an abortion? Exactly. And he's like, I say, how can I get an abortion? He goes, you don't have a partner. And I go, no, I do. He says, okay, it's not a committed relationship. I go, uh, no, we've been together for three years. He goes, well, why don't you want the baby? I go, oh. I don't make enough money to have a baby. He's like, well, how much money do you make? And I'm like just trying to be a good patient and like answer his questions instead of being like, that's none of your business. How much money do you make, doctor? Sure. Yeah. But I tell him, I'm like, at at the time, I was like, I'm making 30000 a year. He's like, okay, how much does your partner make? And I go, like, he's making seventy five. And he goes... Well, you guys are making more than a hundred thousand as a couple. A lot of people raise kids on less than that. Wow. And I go, okay. How do I get an abortion? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back to my original inquiry of how do I get an abortion? Yeah. Jesus Christ. I know. And he told me to go to a walk-in clinic. Okay. Now, to this doctor's defense, even though his line of questioning was entirely inappropriate. 
there I had a complicated circumstance in that this was a Friday and the next day I was flying back to Vancouver for a month because this was around the holidays and I had already planned to go and be with my family for for the holidays. Mm. So from his perspective, he's like, well, I can only bill you for this clinic, like for this this doctor's visit. Uh, once you're in BC, you're out of my jurisdiction. Uh, good luck. Wow, <laughs> like, that's tough. That, you know? Yeah. So that was like a, wow, didn't expect that to go that way. Um, yeah, and not that there's ever a good time to get an abortion, but <laughs> that seems... <laughs> It seems like very poor timing for that to happen. Yeah. (sighs) Very poor timing. Very poor. And I, you know, walked out of the office and then I realized, shit, I have no idea how you get an abortion. Like, you know, I, my whole life, very pro-abortion, very proud to, you know, live in the decriminalized landscape of Canada but I had no no idea. I thought yeah. like, well, you just go to your doctor and then they they hook you up. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I called my mom and uh, told her the news, and she was relieved because I was like, I have disappointing news. And then I told her I was pregnant. She was like, Oh, thank God! I thought you were going to say you weren't coming home for Christmas. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I know. Such a great mom. <laughs> Moms. And I was also, I was working that day too. And the, and like, just again, bless my mom. And that day I was working as a shoe shiner uh, on Bay Street. And it's a, it's a gig economy job. Like you don't make an hourly wage. You're paid by the number of shoes you shine. It was my last day of work before taking time off for the holidays. My mom knew this and she was like, get back to work, like make your last batch of money for the year. I'll figure out where you can do this in Vancouver. Wow. I know. Because so many people I feel like would be in this position, as you're saying, like, I don't know how to fucking get an abortion and not have any supportive figures. Yeah. So that's that's heartbreaking in the best way that she was like, you go to work, I'll figure this out. Like, that's, that's, I know, that's so great. I know. Yeah. Deep love. Deep yeah. love. Yeah. And like, so, so, and that was my first thing too of exactly that. Like, gosh, what would this be like if I was a person who couldn't share this with my family, yeah. you know, or, you know, was alone in many other capacities in the world. So, or I didn't that, have right like, away a committed like, partner, or I didn't, yeah, like all these exactly. things. I didn't live in Canada. I didn't like whatever. Exactly. Exactly. So my mom, my mom called all the abortion clinics. There are, there's actually four in Vancouver, but at the time, uh, because of Google, one's in a hospital. So she didn't think it was like something you could just, she thought you would have to be referred to that one. So she called the three freestanding clinics. Um, And the earliest that those, of those three clinics, somebody could see me was in 10 days. Okay. So this is important because when we're going to talk about some of the like things that are happening right now with abortion, this is important, this timeline, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Teaser. And... We're going to tease that out <laughs> for a conversation later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But okay. So 10 days. 10 days. I also had to call and make the appointment myself for, I guess, like, uh, I don't know, security, safety reasons. I'm sure there's a good reason for that. I'm not entirely sure exactly what it is. But um, 
you know, my mom called me, gave me the number. I called, made the appointment. And this was at the end of 2019 before abortion had become, you know, once again, a hot topic issue. And the receptionist was like, uh, basically, I can't remember exactly how the conversation was unfolding, but she was like, okay, um, because I was coming with an OHIP care card versus like the BC care card, she was like, okay, so we can bill your province for the clinic visit, but um, the medication you'll have to pay up front and then we'll give you the receipt and you'll have to like get reimbursed by your province for that. Mm-hmm. So you've got to pay out of pocket. Yes. Yes. And that was like a such a whoa, 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 whoa moment for me. Cause first of all, I had never heard of a medication abortion up until that point. Like we only got the medication in Canada in 2017. So at that point it had only been around for two years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And I just never, I didn't know anyone who had had a medication abortion, didn't even know it was a thing. So I was like, wait, what? I'm going to do it with pills? Okay, cool. How much of the pill? How much are the pills? Like 300 and something dollars. Uh, yep. Okay. Um, and But then the other thing about it, too, I was like, wait, if it's a prescription, why can't I just come and pick it up and, like, not have to wait 10 days? Um, yeah. Good question. And for me, it was a complicated situation because I got pregnant with an IUD. You have an increased chance of like an ectopic pregnancy where it implants outside of your uterus. Um, and medication abortion doesn't work on ectopic pregnancies. So they were like, we need to rule that out before we, we give you these pills. And I was like, okay, fine. Okay. So I fly home and I wait the 10 days. And I was just so grateful that I had already that this timed up with me scheduling time off of work because I was so nauseous you're right okay so tired like the the type of fatigue I have not encountered in my healthy privileged life like sleep of the dead bone tire (laughs) yeah yeah. okay and I was like I cannot imagine having to go to work feeling like this And then you get into issues of like, again, like if particularly for gig, gig economy workers, freelancers, like where are your paid sick days? Where are your benefits? Even for people who have more job security, um, that, you know, that's challenging. It also made me feel like maternity leave, parental leave, cool. Like where the fuck is pregnancy leave? (laughs) People... Like the first trimester of pregnancy, sometimes people for their whole pregnancy is because it just affects people so differently. But like you're sick. Yes, yeah. you're, you know, growing a new life and whatever. But like you are sick yeah, <laughs> and your body's time. going through. Yeah. It really is. And yeah. I was just like, why is there no built in infrastructure for this for the people who are doing the work of like, you know, regenerating the population? <laughs> like, yeah. Because men write, so, the, write the things. Yeah. Exactly. But this is another important barrier thing to talk about of like, thank God I had work off. This is a potential other thing of somebody that's got to work 
and maybe they can't get time off work and that's another barrier of like well maybe I have to wait to do this until the weekend or until like hugely whatever I can get time off that can yes or somebody can take care of my kids or yes yes or I need a caregiver you know like yeah it's just like time that takes stuff that takes time to organize absolutely absolutely um so those were like in terms of and then I you know the 10 days passed I went to the clinic I everything was fine got the pills didn't have an ectopic pregnancy took the pills uh abortion complete okay (laughs) so so that was access for me um but in terms of what I've learned about access uh in the time since then I guess I'll start with like first with the the glass half full perspective access has actually like exponentially increased thanks to medication abortion Mm -hmm. and we because of advocacy within the medical community even though it's still like small yet mighty you know abortion training is becoming more um you know, people are advocating for its inclusion in medical schools and the importance of it, and more providers are being um, adequately trained. It still needs to be so much better, but there are people who are pushing this issue and making sure we get better at that from, you know, how we're training our future Mm -hmm. providers to be confident and competent. Um, Yeah, to not have your doctor give you that line of questioning exactly exactly I, rem- I remember even when like I wanted um I wanted a HIV test um from my GP like I was doing I was doing I guess I was doing an STI panel um mm-hmm. I usually go to like a sexual health clinic but for whatever reason I chose to do it there and yeah she gave me a line of questioning and she was talking me out of getting the an HIV test because that's something you have to pay for separately and ask for separately. And she was like, gave me a line of questioning about that. Well, do you have risky sex? And I was like, pardon me? <laughs> None of your business? <laughs> yeah. Like talking me out of getting that test. I'm like, it's... A- it's at a cost of to me like what yeah. what's it to you to it's very odd very very odd yeah i mean the medical misogyny is so strong my um my story editor for abortion recently has published a book called bleed which is about specifically endometriosis mm-hmm. um and and i think the subtitle is like busting misogyny and myths within the healthcare system but that her work there is you just see so much how women non-binary trans folks are routinely dismissed gaslit not believed by medical professionals like it also reminds me of like people trying to get tubal ligations or sterilization and there's always this like paternalistic resistance of like what if you change your mind kind of and it's just like it's crazy that that not to not to even mention medical racism all the medical racism and then and then yes those structural and institutional forces like the the deck is stacked against you yes um so so yeah but there are i feel doctors who are working really hard to and other advocates who are working really hard to 
make providers better, but Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know. It's like you kind of, sometimes you feel like you have to burn the system down because, you know, even to get into medical school is still such, medical school is like designed to break you, (laughs) you know? And then, and then I feel like those doctors and even sometimes I think particularly women like internalize that and then you know you would think that asking for an HIV test for example particularly from a female provider like they would be like sure yeah no problem Tracy talks about that too in her book where she's like talking you would think that a female doctor when I'm talking about my endo and my this chronic pain that I get from my reproductive cycle that they would believe me yeah and, you know, Tr- Tracy's like, in her experience, actually, no, sometimes from her perspective, female providers were less sympathetic in some ways. So, yeah, yeah, because it's, it's just so it's so a part of our culture. So part of our narrative yes. growing up that, yeah, women absolutely yeah. can have like internalized misogyny going on that they bring to their work. I know, I know. Post podcast is sponsored by Come As You Are. Founded as a worker-owned cooperative, Come As You Are has a fundamentally anti-capitalist and feminist approach to sexual pleasure, health, and education. Come As You Are doesn't profit from your pleasure and only stocks products that they truly love and believe in. Come As You Are has been voted best sex shop in Toronto since 1997. Check them out at comeasyouare.com or 254 Augusta Avenue in Toronto's own Kensington Market. We are also sponsored by Club M4 Toronto. Club M4 is the largest sexually charged lifestyle club in the GTA. And now you can go to their website, www.clubm4.com, If anything looks interesting and you want to check it out, head on down to Club M4 at 1989 Dundas Street, Mississauga. Um, Okay, I feel like we can't go too much longer without just talking about what's happening right now with some abortion laws. This six Mm -hmm. weeks thing, I think we should talk about why that's insane. (laughs) and it's how insane. yeah yeah okay y- yep don't let me you you I'm <laughs> yeah you go I right mean ahead. I didn't get I couldn't like I couldn't I didn't know I was pregnant until I was five weeks and once those like once those 10 days were added I was already in the seventh week that, so yeah if I was in Florida I wouldn't and like that that exact circumstance unfolded as it did I'd be past the six weeks yeah, like, like all, uh, all of these things up. that we were saying of time, you know, time to maybe gather funds to get this done. Because as you said, it cost money out of pocket and then you were reimbursed. So it's like, you know, everybody doesn't just mm-hmm. have that money lying around. Maybe they need mm-hmm. to borrow it from somewhere. Maybe they need to, I don't know, again, taking mm-hmm. time off of work. That could take time to figure out. Mm-hmm. Many people don't mm-hmm. have regular periods. Exactly. Like all of this stuff. Um, Yeah. I I personally am of the belief that like any week 
ban is insane. Like what is what we should be proud of and need to protect about, you know, abortion in Canada, even though it's a little more complicated than this. But Mm -hmm. because we're completely decriminalized, you can get an abortion at any stage of gestation, Mm -hmm. technically. It's not super easy and places that perform terminations after 24 weeks there's like the last i heard there's like three in the country people still often have to go to the states um but you're not going to be you and the doctor who gives you an abortion after 24 weeks of pregnancy are not going to be criminally prosecuted mm-hmm. and there's just so many reasons as to why people need to terminate pregnancies um, and the yes, the vast majority of abortions happen in the first trimester. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of tests about fetal anomalies, you can't know until after 24 weeks of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and by then you're also in a situation where it's deeply tragic because people who carry a pregnancy that long obviously deeply want that that pregnancy to be okay like that is a wanted child and there is some sort of biological medical complication where either you know the fetus's life or the pregnant person's life are severely compromised and they shouldn't have to travel to the states or travel across the country or be persecuted for needing the care that they need to take care of their life and their child's life to the best of their abilities Mm -hmm. so I think that that is, you know, there should be no gestational limits as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the end. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Florida is just like, these are all just Christo-fascist Chris, Chris, politicians trying to, you know, uphold and enforce patriarchy and subjugate women and, you know, trans and non-binary people um and and keep people poor like (laughs) it's just it's pure evil um so i wish the states luck they need a revolution i hope i i i think it's gonna get worse before it gets better but um yeah, it's how how is this happening that we seem to have gone backwards in your opinion that we seem have seem to have gone backwards like a hundred years? Yeah, well, I I I'm not super like researched on how you know their country works, but it does seem to be like this wouldn't have happened if the Supreme Court wasn't stacked against them. So there's that, like the politics has a big thing to do with it. Mm -hmm. And this belief that I guess the Republican Party has that, you know, their religious base sees abortion as a a winning issue, although that's seeming to be proving working against them on every single ballot that's happened on a state level, people have voted for abortion rights. Um, so, you know, there's a part of me that's hoping that the Republican Party are like digging their grave over this. Very sadly, they're also digging the graves of of pregnant people until this, you know, is stopped. Um, but yeah, and and I'd also just say religion seems to be playing a really big part um, 
Yeah, and how religion influences politics and politics. Yeah, yeah it, there's absolutely. like those forces are definitely here. I feel like particularly in the conservative party and the people's party. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just seems to be not quite as intense as it is in the States. And I guess even like, you know, culturally, it's like, God bless America. We have a more kind of secular view of society, even though those, those forces are still like present. um, It's just slightly, I think, like less concentrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's all in, it's all in Quebec. (laughs) I know, right? But they surprisingly have the most abortion clinics of every of any province. I oh my mean, God, like, really? I know that's surprising. It is. I yeah. I think it's because also though, like that's really where the abortion movement grew out of because Did of Morgan Tyler. Yeah, okay, because okay. he was in Montreal, and then yeah, there's like all of this kind of yeah abortion history there. So I think that that's partially why. Also, apparently it's very hard to find a GP in Quebec. I mean, it's hard to find a GP anywhere right now, but uh, also particularly in Quebec. So they, I think they need more like freestanding clinics clinics because they just have so much of the population who isn't like designated to one person who's like taking care of their health. So. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, Can you talk for a moment because, um, I I did the thing where I was listening to one of your episodes, and I'm obsessed with your podcast now. Um, before talking to you, so I this a thing about making abortion an equality issue was really interesting to me. Yeah, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, I guess it's just like okay. So one of the experts I had on my podcast is a uh, professor, what's her discipline in sociology? I can't remember off the top of my head, but her name's Rachel Johnstone, and she wrote a book called After Morgenthaler. Mm-hmm. And there's a sentence in there, I'm going to like botch it because it's not right in front of me, but it's something to the effect of like, abortion is the only human right that did not originate as a right granted solely to men. Yes. Wow. Yeah. 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 And again, not it's like women can get pregnant, non-binary people can get pregnant, trans people can get pregnant, men can get pregnant. Yep. Uh but when we're talking about it from this, you know, the forces of patriarchy and the binary of gender, mm-hmm. um I thought was a statement that really struck me. And if you cannot have agency over your body and like this is everything from your ability to determine whether you're going to be pregnant or not, your ability to govern your gender identity, your ability to engage in the work you want to do. I'm thinking of sex work. Um, If you don't have the self-determination to govern that, you aren't you cannot participate in a democratic society equally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, and when you think about also like how having children impacts people's lives and particularly the people who birth those children, it has tremendous knock-on socioeconomic political impacts on their lives from how much money they earn to how much time they have, like the re- like, we still have in sitting in parliament right now. I think it's like thirty percent of those folks are women, 
And those are the people who make up the rules to how society functions. So, Mm -hmm. and you don't have, you know, more equal representation in politics because you need to have money to be able to do that. You need to have the time to do that. And just the way society is set up, it's you're far more likely to have money and time if you're a man. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I just, you know, there's no doubt that it's not an issue of equality. And I even think to, I can't remember where they're at with this case, but, you know, we've, we've, if abortion were ever to be challenged at the Supreme Court again, what we, what was used to decriminalize abortion in 88 was Section 7 of the of, of the Charter on Rights and Freedoms, which is about autonomy, mm-hmm. which is about, you know, the right to life, liberty, and security of the person. But you could also make an argument for Section 15, equality, um, and maybe even Section 28, which I know less about, but also has to do with gender and equality. So those are kind of like some, some political scientists think that there's actually more ground to be won in terms of establishing abortion rights Although the resounding consensus is we probably don't need to do that because uh, the charter clearly defends abortion rights and you don't want to create too much legal framework because then anti-abortion politicians and opponents can chip away at it, which is what's happened Mm -hmm. in the states with Roe. So they're actually kind of like less is more in this instance. (laughs) Yeah, you don't need any special laws protecting it because... Abortion is healthcare, and we already have a right to healthcare. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to sensationalize and treat it specially because that kind of works against it. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So interesting. Very interesting. Um, I I get the impression you do a shit ton of research. Um, I love for it. your pod. I love it. <laughs> You're a research slut. It's fine. I am. Thank you. <laughs> I want a pin. <laughs> um what is something what's like maybe the most interesting bit uh of research that maybe surprised you or was really really cool for you to learn in your in your season one arc of your pod Hmm. anything jumped to mind okay well the i don't know if this is this is it but the thing that jumps to mind Mm -hmm. is back to my mom Mm -hmm. uh i didn't know about my mom's abortions until I was waiting for mine. She hadn't told me about them. Um, and that was such a revelation to me because we're, we're I mean, we're, we're the Gilmore girls. We're very close. Like, <laughs> we've got that, we've got that dynamic. So the fact that it had like never come up, I was really kind of just astounded by. Wow. And then her experiences of choice literally just one decade before I was born, one generation before me, really blew my mind. Like, uh, she had had two abortions, and the first one was an illegal one, because even though it was after, you know, Canada had its first pass at legalizing the procedure, Mm -hmm. a lot of doctors still were deeply uncomfortable with it. So she asked her doctor for abortion and that doctor was literally like, no, 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 don't tell me about this. And she had to like through a friend of a friend found a pre-med student who gave her one. Um, Yeah. And then her second one was 10 years before I was born and the law had been around for much longer. So the doctor was fine 
you know, putting her case before. They had these things called therapeutic abortion committees, which was a panel of three doctors who had to say, yes, you can have this abortion. Right. And uh, she said that, like, her case was easy because she was single. Mm. So, but if you, you know, weren't, again, if, thinking of the what ifs, exactly. It's like, well, what if this? What if, yeah. Yes. And okay. she had a friend who um, wanted an abortion, but the husband wouldn't consent. And so she couldn't get one. Mm. I know. So, again, I was like, that was 10 years before I was born. That is wild. Yeah, that's not that long ago. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, and also it's like the older I get, the more I understand why my mom's so angry. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the same year she had that second abortion, she um, bought her first house, which is... Wow. Generational differences. Like the down payment (laughs) was $6,000. Like housing is... I know, I'm fuck off. Um... (laughs) But still, she actually, even though she had $6,000 of her own money, yep. there, she couldn't find a bank who would give a mortgage to a single woman. So so her dad actually had to co-sign on the mortgage, and then they had to get a lawyer to take him off of it just so that she could, you she, know, she it's like, it. yeah. Oh. yeah, again. Wow. Crazy. Crazy. That is crazy. Um, yeah. I'm wondering, like, what that conversation looked like. Uh, between you and your mom like okay so there was kind of two I the first one was I was waiting it was in the days leading up to the abortion I was lying in bed we were like scrolling Netflix couldn't you know the paradox of choice couldn't pick anything and she just turned to me and was like you know you're gonna go through labor and I was like what Yeah, because honestly, I had been like Googling about how the pills work, but no one had essentially said it like that. Yeah. And I was kind of like, how do you know that? Like, the internet doesn't say that. First of all, what do you mean by that? (laughs) Second (laughs) second of all, how do you know that? (laughs) Yeah. And then she was like, well, when I had my abortion, and I was like, whoa, what? Hold on. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So then when we were lying in bed, she told me about them. She told me about the first one. She told me about the second one. And, like, we we talked about it. And I, I remember asking, like, why why have you not told me until now? And she said, well, because the first one was illegal and the second one was horrible. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. And then I ended up interviewing her a year later for the podcast. And wow. I, you know, just kind of we went deeper into that conversation and she told me this wild story of when she was a teenager uh, a friend was living with her and this friend got an illegal abortion um, because the legalization hadn't happened yet it was earlier in the 60s and as teenagers she went with her friend to this house and her friend you know was a man her friend disappeared into this back room where this guy, you know, did an illegal abortion and they, it cost $200 at the time and, you know, went back to my mom's house and that night she just started to bleed very heavily and was in excruciating pain. And, um, yeah, my mom was telling me the story of like having this 
friend with her beside her in the bed shaking bleeding uh, moaning being like okay i can't tell my parents like trying to determine like is this a hospital moment like is this going to pass um and that that girl can you imagine you as a young person sorry to cut you off can you imagine you as a young person trying to determine that like seriously (laughs) what do i do i'm a fucking teenager like yeah holy shit so so much so heavy so also like on the unnecessary suffering like um so her friend ended up being fine the friend went to a doctor and got antibiotics um but still it's like people did die (laughs) absolutely it's that thing again of like you know you can't you can't make abortions go away with these laws, these really restrictive laws with criminalizing yes. it, with whatever it is. You you won't, people need to have access to abortions. People are going to get abortions. You're just making it more dangerous. For them. I think about totally, totally. And it's like, uh, there's so many issues like that that are like political hot buttons. Like, abortion predates all literate societies you're not getting rid of it like it happens 73 million times a year around the world but by criminalizing it you will make people suffer and you will kill people and like i honestly i think the same about sex work oldest profession Mm -hmm. if you try to criminalize like you're not making it go away it will not go away (laughs) yeah you're just making a more danger dangerous for people to do it exactly exactly so yeah you can try all you want conservatives but you're you're gonna lose yeah and i think that's like you know that's kind of one of these like nightmare stories that we're told when we're young to Mm -hmm. be that that again that thing of this just narrative that you're taught as a young person that you grow up and you grow up being very fearful um of abortion and Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you, you, you picture it being like a life ender, Mm -hmm. you picture it being very risky and very shameful, right? Mm -hmm. Like, along with like, we were talking about like Catholicism and the lack of sex education that, that happens. This is that absolutely extends to stuff like abortion and pregnancy and miscarriage, all of this Mm -hmm. stuff, right? Like abortion as healthcare. And, like, what do you think that, how do you think that informs legislation? Hmm. Well, the th- I'm not, you know, I'm not entirely sure how it informs legislation, but the thing that's coming to my mind is kind of further into this topic of sex ed and body literacy. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, re- I re- you know, I, I've now talked to people for the second season of the show who've had multiple abortions mm-hmm. and they'll all admit to having this thought come up you know with without you know kind of like the thoughts that come up in your brain without you actively thinking them, mm-hmm. <laughs> of like I can't have another one and like you know immediately they're like you can have as many abortions as you need but this kind of pervasive shame shame and stigma is like it still feels like a slutty thing to need an abortion and a it is absolutely not Mm -hmm. (laughs) but also i think i 
I was really surprised after my abortion. Like I decided to go off of birth control altogether after my abortion because I just felt like, you know what? This has been my job literally my entire sexually active life. Mm -hmm. It's not my job anymore. Like it's my job and it's my partner's job equally. Yes. Yeah. And that required me to like that. And it's been great because it's it's encouraged and required more open discussion with my partner about like him knowing more about my body. (laughs) Yeah, because that's important and important part of this. This conversation. Yeah, is that it's like two people doing a thing together. It's not just like our sole responsibility. Yeah, the person with the uterus. I mean, yeah. that's the other thing. There's the I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but she's actually a designer of all things. But she made this. She had a Twitter thread that went viral, and then she turned it into a book. But it's called Ejaculate Responsibly. And the whole <laughs> thesis of this book is like, listen, a person has no control over when they ovulate. Yes. And it can be actually hard to determine if you've ovulated unless you're paying really fucking close attention, which most people don't have time to do. Absolutely not. Yeah. An egg does not fertilize itself. Yeah. All sperm cause 100% of unwanted pregnancies. And a person who is ejaculating has complete control over when and where they ejaculate. (laughs) Yeah, even though they really like us to believe that they don't. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. So choices, choices, it all comes down to fucking choice. And like, you know, I I was I started like doing fertility awareness as my form of birth control after the abortion. And even though I understood the gist of my reproductive cycle, the specifics, Mm -hmm. I was kind of gobsmacked again you know, running in progressive circles, having a feminist mom. I was like, I cannot believe I am in my 30s and just really beginning to understand the intricacies of how my reproductive cycle works and what it's trying to tell me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my partner was so fucking clueless. And, you know, if you're if we're clueless. Yeah. About our own bodies. Can you imagine? Yeah. This dude. And I'm just (laughs) like. You should not be permitted to ejaculate into a person with the potential for pregnancy unless you know what's going on in them too. Like- yeah. yeah. Okay. So if we're gonna if we're gonna think about it like that, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but like, what are what are some of the most important things that the partner you know should be aware of as far as fertility awareness? I like for with. I'll like I think my partner would be okay with me sharing this but one of the things that I really insisted upon and that I was hurt he wasn't doing as we like began to use this new method as our form of contraception was he was waiting on me to tell him you know was it a fertile day or was it a or was it a safe day right and listen I have I'm the one who knows so yes I can tell him but he was just never asking me like he was expecting that I would tell him. Hmm. And I just felt like, you know, you can also ask like, right. I don't I want to be the one all the time when, you know, either we're like about to have sex or we're in the middle of sex and I have to be like, pull out, you know, like, mm-hmm. can't you also like take some curiosity and not just expect that I'll tell you this? Like it wasn't feeling completely like a two way 
street. Like, he was still taking my leadership. Okay, yeah. so it wasn't the expectation of, like, he should know, but yeah. just the fact that, like, you can be curious. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So it was just the fact that I was 100% of the time You're saying... responsible for... Yes. Yeah, okay, yes. got you. Yeah. And I was hoping to cultivate and have now, because of talking about it, more of, like, a feeling of equal understanding um, because again, it's the two of us that exactly the equal weight of responsibility. Exactly to not get me pregnant. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was the question? Do you have anything else? To oh, about that? what what's like important for a partner to know about about our bodies and fertility and another thing about my uh, the abortion with my partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the abortion was a really I, like we almost broke up emotionally it was a rocky experience for us for a number of like intersecting reasons I was in Vancouver he was in Toronto he physically couldn't be there like there were a lot of things um but I I felt a little ab- abandoned by him and it took us several months to unpack and understand where we were at individually with that you know event in our lives mm-hmm. But one of the things that he said as we were making our way out of that kind of dark place and, you know, he kind of admitted, like, I didn't even, like, Google the pills that you were taking and, like, what your body, what they would do to your body and what the side effects were and what it would feel like. Like, he's like, I didn't even, I should have. And I didn't. Out of fear, I guess? Or I think, I think for him it was a number of things. Um yeah. Like, we had had a very on and off again relationship. My kind of, you know, I, I'll often describe, even though my abortion 100% was a choice, I, some, I sometimes say it didn't even feel like a choice because there was no option in my mind that this was a pregnancy I was going to go through with. Like, the right. only choice for me was, like, I'm terminating this. I did not decide to get pregnant. Um if anything, I am just deciding the path that I was previously on. <laughs> right. Um, but he felt that my kind of like absolutely no was perhaps like a an admission of my um, not being completely invested in our relationship. Mm. My partner also, we both want kids. Um, he felt more ready for them at that point than I did. And he didn't he didn't know how to insert those feelings into a decision that he believes and is true. What was was 100% my decision. Yes. Um, And then, you know, in my opinion, being a, a guy who's not like growing up in a culture where he's encouraged to talk about his feelings, (laughs) kind of (laughs) that, that made him emotionally retreat even more because he didn't know what to do with them. So then as he emotionally retreated, then that just made me angry, sad and alone. It was a very, you know, feeling abandoned thing. Yeah. With, with your, your feelings. Yeah. Yeah, Gnarly tangle of, of emotions there. So we, we got through it. We made it through, but it took a lot of, um, it took like three months, I would say, talking and, you know, the assistance of the relationship therapist, Esther Perel. I'll say that. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and it's, 
you know, I think it's important to mention that you, you said before, you're like, it was a pretty easygoing abortion. So again, if the what ifs we're, we're thinking about, yeah. you know, uh, people that didn't have, you know, even people that have, you know, a quote unquote, easygoing time with this, it's still difficult. Exactly. So if you're not having an easygoing time with this, your fucking life could fall apart. Yes. Because of how difficult it is. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Yeah. And it impacts like it's impacts, I think, at least in my experience of it, it really did impact every area of my life, like Absolutely. my relationship yeah. Yeah. with myself, obviously my partner, clearly my mom, yes, my relationship mom. Yeah. with like my job, my finances, like it made me question kind of everything. I think that's also because like, I am somebody who wants kids. So at 31, when I was like, not this pregnancy, yeah, but yet. if not this, when and then how and with who and like yes, yeah. all of those cascading existential dilemmas. So yeah, you know, even though it was uh, not a big deal, it was also simultaneously a huge a big deal. deal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is important to, yeah, like be oh, to hold both of those things. Yes. Yeah. yeah the duality the of life. Absolutely. Um, okay. Oh, my God. This has been so amazing. I think this is so fucking important uh, Aww, to talk thanks, about. So I'm, I'm, I'm just so grateful uh, that you came on. You wanted to come on the pod and talk to me about this, Rachel. Oh, well, I'm so grateful to be asked. And likewise, with your show, I think... You know, talking about sex is so fun, but it's also really hard, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all that, like, trying to destigmatize these conversations, these topics, right? Yes, is exactly. Yeah. And there's so much to talk about, too. So I'm hey, glad you're doing this it. This is like episode fucking 300 and fucking I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> so we're still finding things to talk about. That's amazing. Congratulations. Um, so thank you so much. Congratulations on your amazing season one of your podcast. You said you are currently, you know, recording and researching mm -hmm. and doing season two. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, at the very least, I hope this has directed some traffic your way to check out season Season one and be really excited for when your uh, first episode of season two drops. But let's talk about all the ways then people can go on over and listen to the backlogs and, and uh, when the next one is released, do that as well. Ah, oh, bless. Of course. So yeah, on, you know, everywhere you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you know, like pick your poison. It's there. Just look up <laughs> Aborsh. A-B-O-R. <laughs> sh similar to the soup slightly different um <laughs> and then i'm most active on the instagram uh and i'm at abortion pod and uh yeah that's kind of it all Fabulous. of my friends are like you need to be on twitter i'm like do i it looks like do everyone's I? leaving twitter everyone's <laughs> leaving everywhere we're all leaving all the time <laughs> it's just it's... an exodus Change is the only constant in life. What can we say? Absolutely. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, where you can follow me uh, at the Lady Pim one and that's where I'm the most active. That's on Twitter. And then if you must go on over to Instagram, I'm at the Bed Post Podcast, at the Lady Pim. 
We have a Patreon. It's the Bedpost Show. We have a YouTube channel. It's the Bedpost Show. And, um, oh yeah, I'm on TikTok talking about somewhere you sh- that I should not be starting to do at this time because it's probably <laughs> imploding uh, at the Lady Pim on TikTok. Um, and I never like to go an episode without thanking the lovely lady who does the, the original music for my podcast. Stephanie Copeland. You can find out more about her at stephcopelandmusic.com. Once again, Rachel, this has been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so so very much for coming on today a true pleasure a true pleasure (laughs) next time we'll see you with another fun and sexy guest here on the bedpost podcast talking about sex and sexuality until then everybody get fucked goodbye (laughs) (laughs) this podcast has been brought to you by the sonar network sonar